Welcome to our Family Office Solutions Podcast on how family offices compensate their employees. My name is Mark Tepsik, and I'm an Executive Director of Family Office Design and Governance Strategist on Family Office Solutions team here at UBS. We are joined today by the greatest founders, Paul Westall and Taib Muhammad. The discussion is related to the article that Paul and Taib authored for our first ever UBS Family Office Quarterly, which was launched very recently. Before we start, I want to mention the following. Agreus is included within the UBS professional network, but is not affiliated with UBS. Inclusion of Agreus in the professional network and the selection of Agreus to brief clients on executive recruitment or compensation for their family office is not a recommendation of or a business for to Agreus. Tyba Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Before for having us, thanks, Mark. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, you know, before we dig in, um, can you both? give some listeners some background on your firms as well as yourself. Okay, I'll, I'll start. I'll try and keep it brief. So, yes, Agrius are a resourcing and recruitment uh, firm that works exclusively with single-family offices globally. So we have offices in New York that covers the U.S. market, London, which currently covers Europe, uh, in Singapore, and soon to be launching in, in the Middle East as well. Um, I'm one of the founders with Tybe, as you mentioned, um, you know, very different background, came from sporting background, moved into recruitment many years ago, and we've been running uh, Agrius for now, coming into our 14th year. And um, the only thing I'll add to what Paul said there is uh, I am uh, a co-founder, and my name is Tai Mohammed, and uh, basically we also provide a lot of thought leadership uh, to family offices to educate the ecosystem, and this effort is in line with our strategy to do that. Um, in terms of my background, very briefly, I have spent uh, uh, more than a decade and a half within recruitment, most of which was catering to the family office space, but prior to that, I spent a couple of years uh, building out wealth management teams uh, for banks and wealth managers across the world. Perfect. Great background. So love the fact that you're a global recruitment firm focused exclusively on family offices. So for starters, can you give listeners some background about family office compensation? So specifically, how do you determine with your family office clients, meaning the organization, the family office compensation as you go out and try to source candidates for them? Yeah, so it's a really Good question, quite a big question as well. So you could probably talk for for, for hours on this. It's, I think it's a difficult thing. So we we meet all our clients range from, you know, clients that have been around for multi generations, seventh generation to you know more commonly new fam, families that have had liquidity events, sold their business and set it up from scratch. So I think the first thing we say to clients is is they need to understand their purpose because that can be the foundation for understanding compensation. So, uh, and you know, for example, if, if it's purely about wealth preservation uh, and low risk taking, then there's a different way of, you know, incentivizing and attracting people for that. Whereas if you're a more, you know, first generation, then you're looking to, to you know, still looking for capital gains and, and really trying to grow your wealth, then there might be a different level of compensation. So I think the first thing we un- try and understand is, like I mentioned, is that purpose of the family. Then obviously it comes down to lots of different things. So, you know, what type of person are you hiring? Because every single role and discipline in a family office will have a different type of compensation. So investment people are compensated very differently to more operational and finance and CPA and accounting type people. Um, so again, uh, and, and what are you trying to achieve with the family office? So, so what, um, what are the goals? And then again, that you need to link your, uh, compensation around that. So, and again, just one final thing to add is where are you going to find these candidates? You know, so if you are, 
if your pool of candidates are coming from a specific area of, of the, you know, the market such as the investment world or specifically the private equity world, how are these candidates incentivized? How are they compensated? Because you need to be, you know, not on par, but you need to be running a similar comp structure to to the market. Otherwise, you're never gonna you're never gonna attract people. So that, that's just a, a highlight. I don't know if there's anything time you wanted to add on to that. The only thing I'll add is to just elaborate a little bit more on what you said about the uh, starting with the objectives of the family office. So because I think it's important for families to understand that if the way you compensate uh, and the kind of people you attract and retain. The strategies to do that is very different, say, if the strategy of the family office is wealth preservation versus growth, because the way you'd pay them would be very different. So that's that's the bottom line, I think, what we're trying to drive here. Perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah the other thing that which we've found recently, obviously the size of your assets of the family office, that's one thing where, you know, you need to realize that, you know, there's a cost that comes with running internal teams of, of people, and obviously there's a certain threshold that you need to have to make sure that, the, you know, if you are paying, paying staff X, you know, is it going to be, you know, can you afford to do that? Uh, that's just one thing to add. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, start with the purpose, try to align that with the goals of the family office and the human capital, which is the candidate. Um, and I also t- tell them to take a step back and start with the compensation policy, uh, which pretty much bakes all of that in there, the purpose, the goal, the alignment with the candidate, like what are you trying to achieve? Okay, so moving on, um, do, you think there's a, do you think there's a disconnect between what family offices want to pay and what candidates are looking for? In one word, 100%. I think there's a lot of disconnect generally, especially when you talk about family offices. If I, I, I want to put them in two buckets. You have the more institutionalized kind of entities that's been running for decades. They know what they're doing. They have inbuilt teams that's been there stable for a long time. These are the kind of guys who are very well educated on the market. They know what the kind of compensation ranges are, what the benchmarks are, what the the, the industry is paying and what they need to pay to retain them more than attract them even. Uh, but when, when you talk about a lot of family offices which are not there yet, which are still in this journey because they've had a liquidity event, they're trying to set up, but they're still trying to professionalize and institutionalize, I think there's a lot of disconnect, especially when they've not ma- made their money or wealth from financial services, uh, especially from financial services, because a lot of the talent generally come from very benchmark-structured industries such as financial services and professional services and legal industries and uh, places like that where, you know, you would know what you'd be making as an MD or even a vice president uh, or, or, or such and such. But family offices generally, especially, I'll give you a typical situation where a family that's made their money in manufacturing where salaries are known to be not so comparable to the financial industry. So they usually, for a surprise, when they're trying to hire investment professionals, we tell them, look, this is what it's going to cost you. On the base salary, this is what an annual bonus should look like. This is what an LTIP program would look like for someone like these guys. You know, they have the appetite to make the investments and deploy capital and do all that, but they're generally in for a shock when, especially when they've not come from the realm of financial services or haven't dealt a lot with um, people from the financial services generally. So uh, generally, there is a lot of that. Okay. Yeah. So I, think I can just add, add, to, add to that. Sorry to jump in. Is that we've seen recently actually? So what a disconnect can also can sometimes come from candidate side. Um, yep. So you know we've seen a bit of a boom over the last 
maybe a couple of years, maybe it's, it's, it's sown a bit, but in a lot of families are getting involved in private equity. We've come involved in searches after maybe they've initially done their own, you know, due diligence looking into the market and they've, you know, introduced candidates into the process, sat, fixed salary, yep, seems fine, it all looks great, but they've not thought about the, uh, the carry or the, the, the bonus structure that is, um, you know, that these guys are offered. So, so the, the, the candidates come in thinking, well, look, they're a family office. I'm sure they'll be offering similar to a private equity firm. But it come, when it, it comes down to it, they've not even thought about that yet. And, and there's a massive disconnect there because then the, the candidate, well, look, in my current firm, I get X, you know, and, and but they're working a multi-billion dollar, you know, for a private equity fund that has, you know, turnover and has, you know, time horizons that are a lot shorter. And the families are like, well, hang on, we don't, we're not going to be able to compensate you to that level, and that's where there can be a, a disconnect. Uh, that 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 is very often uh, an occurrence we find in. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I mean, you've got the institutional family offices, then you've got newer family offices, and those institutional family offices are are generally more aligned, or at least have greater insight and experience around compensation, which is usually, as you know, tied to more financial services, which is honestly where a lot of these candidates come from, especially on the investment side. So. Perfect, great insights there. Uh, so moving on, so you're aligning, you know, you're trying to align candidates with your family office clients. What's the comp discussion and negotiation like between the family office and the candidate? Can you shed some light on that? Yeah, I think it's, um, going back to that example I gave, I think it's been transparent uh, and clear at the, be- at the beginning. Um, so under this having, like we mentioned, having that comp, uh, discussion internally to know what sort of structure you're going to have in place, and, and if it's, you know, it depends on what stage in the journey. Like if you are an institutional family that's been running for many years, you've probably already got a well-established, you know, structure. But if you're new to this, and you still need, you may not be, it may not be completed at the early stage, but you need to have an idea. So, I think transparency and honesty is is important. Um, so we're clear with the clients when we're talking to them. So what, you know, how did you want to pay? What do you think you want to do about bonus? If they're not sure, we'd educate them. And the same with the candidates. We talk to them and find out, so, you know, what is your expectations for the, for the long term? Uh, and again, if, if they don't marry up, then there's, there's, it's wasting time for these people to, you know, to have discussions because it will never go anywhere. So, and I think having that, I think often in the fa- family office world, it's common what you, we've done, you know, benchmark surveys and, and a large proportion of, of family office staff are paid on a discretionary basis. You know, less so in the investment roles, but still there are that. There's an element of discretion, particularly at the early stages. But we say, you know, even if you are an early stage family office and you may have decided to work on a discretionary bonus for the first year, at that point you should be able to understand what's good, what's successful, what benchmarks you're trying to achieve. And at that point going forward, there needs to be a a proper structured compensation um, structure for the for the team. Long term, um, you know, make sure that they stay. Um, but also, it's interesting that there is an element of a leap of faith when you go into a family office. So we, you know, we've we've spoken to candidates where we've known that family office for multiple years. The CEO's been there for a long time and stepping down, and they were never they were always paid on a discretion. But they were, you know, for example, paid ten times their salary every year, but it wasn't contractual. And someone coming from the and I remember having this conversation. Someone coming from the family office, sorry, the financial services world. Um, saying, well, look, I'm not sure what I'm going to get paid here. And we're saying, well, look, it's not contractual, but I can assure you if you do a good job and you prove yourself, you're going to make these substantial amounts of money. But 
you know, had, you know, it was a big risk for someone making that move. And, you know, thankfully they decided that, you know, the, the, the role was, was more than just the money and it was exciting. They took that, you know, I spoke to them three years later and like, yeah, it, it, you know, I'm definitely getting paid what I wanted to do. So it's, it's difficult is the answer, but I think being clear, transparent and trying to get that conversations happen early on uh, and making sure these things align is important. Perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. Great insight. So, so let's move on um, and dig a little deeper on the different comp structures you see in the market. So, you know, obviously you have investment related professionals, you've got accounting and finance, you might have legal and more COO general roles. Can you discuss what those different comp structures look like in the market between those disciplinary candidates as far as like what they do at the family office? Sure. Um, I think the fundamental structures are very similar. So everyone has usually a base or a fixed element, and then there's a variable element at the end of the year, which is your annual bonus, if you like. Uh, when it comes to investment professionals, where the difference is investment at senior professionals. When I talk about like, so anyway, I'm talking about guys who are like the CEO of the family office. He oversees everything or a key man in the family office who you just cannot lose. These kind of people get an additional element, which is the LTIPS generally. Um, and there are some family office, which is very rare, as an exception, give out some form of LTIPS to everybody, even non-investment and non-senior people, because they like everyone to have a little bit of skin in the game and they just keep it that way and that's just the organizational culture. But in general, LTIPS are only offered to senior investment professionals and other key man kind of employees, key man, key woman kind of employees. But so you have the base element, which is quite standard, uh, you know, for investment professionals, for finance professionals and uh, legal or management professionals. And then you have the uh, annual bonuses. Now, when it comes to annual bonuses, the industry standard for everyone, if I had to club it all together, it's not 30% of base salaries, uh, except for the investment professionals. The investment professionals can make up to 100% of their base salaries uh, in, in, in uh, annual bonuses. And these guys also tend to get an LTIP, which can be in the form of carry it can be in the form of a rolling uh, uh, sort of a, a payout that's paid out at an interval such as three years or five years where a certain hurdle rate is met and uh, you know a percentage is given to them uh, every so often uh, uh, usually it's paid out in the form of cash uh, nothing is deferred as such very rarely we've seen um like options being given uh, where within the investi- uh, investments and things like that, but it's usually cash uh, cash uh, forms of payment. So that's the general structure for all all of them generally. Okay, um, you may have already covered this, but of the LTAP, you know, or the long term incentive plan formats, what is the most common? Um, but you know, it's so. You know, like all family, you know, here all family offices are different, and they all, they, they all, you know, it's all very personal. The way how these things are structured, I think, you know, we've seen all sorts of shapes and sizes of, of you know, LTIPS, and we've helped structure all sorts of shapes and sizes, you know, bespoke for that family. But I'd say if you're looking at as a market, the most common, they look at the family office as a whole of fund approach. So they look at the, you know, the various asset classes they. They manage. Obviously, some have a lot higher returns than, than others, and have a lot higher benchmark. But typically, they look at that whole. Uh, we took, when we're not talking about owned operational businesses, we're talking about separate money liquidity that's that's used to to invest in you know 
uh, outside of the, the core operating business, they'll look at that as a whole fund and they'll set a benchmark target that they've tried to achieve. And then they would have that on a rolling three to five year basis because obviously some asset classes, you know, perform better through no, not because of superb investment team, but just because of the, the world at that time. So they look at it from a, a three year, three to five year rolling. If there's say a, a benchmark of 8% return, if they hit the 8%, they'll get X percent of the, of their salary paid out um, into that um, to them if it's uh, you know beyond that benchmark you'll get another a certain number and if it's beyond the, another benchmark again you'll get uh, another higher percentage that is typically the 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 most common and I guess most effective we've seen out there for for family offices um, obviously if the family is purely you know very heavily focused on private equity wherever it would be you know, direct or funds, then maybe there may be a, a, a need for a different structure, but th- that's probably the most common and most effective we've seen out there. Great. Thank you. So before we leave here today, you know, I'm just going to sum up. We've got alignment and purpose for both the candidate's goals and the family office, family's goals, um, and aligning comp. We've got transparency is probably a best practice in managing expectations on both sides, both the family office and the candidate. And then one last thing. Is there anything else that you'd like to leave the listeners with? I know we were just really focused on compensation here um, and some unique things, but one last thing, anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? I think it's it's being professionalized. Running this like you might only be a five-man team, but run it like, um, you know, you are a big, you know, a bigger institution. That's one thing. And the other thing just to add, I think it's it's for another day, but having some form of governance and making sure that people are reviewing, overseeing, you know, not only the investment strategies, but but how compensation is being paid, when bonus is being paid. That's that's my two points. Sure. The only other thing I'd add to that is, uh, because we've seen, uh, especially very recently in the public domain as well, if if you are offering carry uh, because you're mainly making direct investments, yeah, uh, just ensure that it's well thought through because uh, sometimes carry can seem like a small amount in terms of percentages, but uh, when it materializes and if you do end up smashing the lights out of the park, uh, then basically you might end up paying much more than what you anticipated. And um, these things can usually lead to some sort of issues later on down the line. So you want to really think through that, talk to advisors and engage the right people to help you out structure this thing yeah, professionally. Great. Those are great insights on the last part uh, on the carrying interest. And so we'll actually try to go deeper on that uh, in a different day. And uh, in any event, I appreciate Paul and Tybe, both your insights. Uh, thank you for the time today. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 